Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi. Tomorrow is a special anniversary day for me. It was six years ago that my book, When Tragedy Strikes, was released. That was my first major book, and it's my actually my only book with a New York publisher. I thought for this week's episode, I would read one of the chapters to you. But before I do, let me tell you the incredible God story behind this book. Almost three years after Becca died, one night I woke up around three in the morning with what seemed to be a book title in my head and several ideas for the chapters. I got up, I wrote it all down, and I went back to bed. A few days later, I sat down and wrote these words. Three years ago today, I buried my daughter. And that's how I started the book. I kept writing until I had the first chapter written, and I continued writing off and on for the next few months. But it was hard because it would pull up all the deep emotions of grief, and I would have to stop for a while before I could pick it back up again. In February of 2015, Dave and I flew to San Diego for a conference that was hosted by a man named Ray Edwards, and one of the speakers was a man named David Hancock. This was a conference for entrepreneurs, and since I was writing this book and I knew nothing about how to, you know, how to make this happen, how to market it, anything like that, um, and I was planning on self-publishing, we went to this conference, so a lot of it was based on those kinds of things. So David Hancock spoke, and he owns a publishing company. He started his own because he kind of wanted to make a publishing company that was the best of both worlds, self-publishing, but have a publisher behind you. Anyway, it, it was the very end of the conference, literally, and it was over. We were getting a group picture type of thing, and he came over and asked to take a picture of my coffee mug, and my mug says, this is God. I'll be handling all your problems today. So I wasn't going to talk to him, but I thought, you know what? I have access to an actual publisher, and I had questions. And I thought, if I go back to Wisconsin and I didn't ask him these questions, I would just kick myself. So I asked if I could talk to him, and he said, sure. And I'm not really sure what I said, but I think some of the questions I was asking him, he needed to know what I was working on to know how to answer them. And apparently he was intrigued. And he asked me how much I'd written, and by then I had three chapters written. He handed me his card, and he said, send me what you have. And so Dave and I had planned to do some sightseeing, and so when we got back home to Wisconsin, I typed out one of those emails. I don't know if you remember me, but you asked me to send you what I had for my book so far. And he sent an email back and said, yes, I've been waiting for it. I have an acquisition editor waiting to see it. Well, this acquisition editor, what they do is they look through the manuscripts and they decide if this is something that the publishing company might want to pursue. And this acquisition editor was Terry Whalen, who wrote one of the Billy Graham biographies. And so on April 1st, I got an email and a phone call from him saying, this is not an April Fool's joke. We want to offer you a contract for your book. I was just floored because I did not pursue a publisher and found out later that basically 1% of all manuscripts that are sent to publishers get accepted and get published into a book. And so here 
is like me. I'm a nobody and just wanting to write and help other parents because of this God-given thing that seemed to be in me to write a book. And all of a sudden, I find myself in contract with a publisher. Well, I signed the contract on Becca's birthday. And as I was writing about the different areas of our lives that needed rebuilding after the death of our child, the book just sort of morphed into the similarities of rebuilding a house. And I did finish the manuscript by the contract deadline, which was in three months. I was a newbie. I knew nothing about this. I didn't know I could have tried to negotiate the contract. And it did take a toll on me because every time, you know, sitting down and writing, I couldn't step back from it like I did when I started the book. If things got hard, I had to plow through this. But it was so worth it because of the feedback I get back from how much it has helped those who've read it. Okay, so that is the story behind the book. That's enough about that, right? So let's get started. I am going to read to you chapter five, which is called The Bedroom of Rest. Don't do, just be. This was the message I kept hearing from many different places for the first two years after Becca's leaving this earth. I believe it is a message we all need at some point when working our way through the darkness and back into the light. A bedroom is part of our home where not many people are invited. It is a place of intimacy, reserved just for ourselves and a few others. We can't sleep or rest if there's a lot of activity surrounding us. We all need that place where we can go to get away and rest. However, the rest we need to come into is not a time and a place. It is a position, but often we must begin with the time and place in order to learn to live in that position. That means we have to set time aside specifically to be alone in God's presence. We need to just be in the stillness of his presence where he can speak peace to us and fill us with his extravagant love, especially if we have a hard time believing he truly loves us after not stepping in to save our child from earthly death. For me personally, over the years, it has been easy to feel guilty in my quiet time with the Lord. I am either not following someone else's pattern or I'm not doing what I've been told by other Christians I should be doing by things like reading my Bible for 30 minutes every day or I should be on my knees praying for an hour, etc. But during this time of learning how to rest in God's presence, I was actually set free from that kind of guilt. In trying to just be with God, I never followed any kind of formula. If I wanted to pray, I prayed. If I wanted to sleep, I slept usually with soaking music that would surround me with his presence. If I wanted to cry, I cried. If I wanted to praise him with my voice or by lifting my hands, that's what I would do. If I wanted to spend time reading my Bible, I would open it and read. I learned to just have times of intimacy between myself and my Lord, and that has become a permanent part of my life. I rest in the love of my God, and we spend time together, just the two of us in the privacy of my prayer room. I don't let what others do, or what others insist all Christians should do, dictate the intimate time set aside to be with my God, nor do I feel a need to tell others what they should be doing in their time of intimacy with Him. So much depth and peace and revelation came out of those times of intimacy. One day, while learning how to place myself in that position of rest, I had a deeper revelation of Romans 8, 38-39, which says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principalities, nor powers, or things present, 
nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even death cannot separate me from the deeply embedded knowing that God loves me. And in that describable love, I can trust him to do what is right and good for me from his view, not mine. I can trust him because I know him and love him and I know without a doubt he loves me even more. In my Bible, I circled the word Lord and wrote, that is the key. When we truly make him Lord, there is nothing that can pull us away from God's love. Here's a powerful revelation I received early in the process of learning how to fully enter into the rest of his love for me. I wrote this on November 12th, shortly after Becca died. And let me just share real quick. Sometimes God will give me visions. I'll see things in my mind, and it's not things that I'm putting there. But I believe in having conversations with God. Sometimes he speaks back to me in my heart and in my soul, my spirit, actually. And sometimes he gives me pictures of something that he wants me to see. And this was a time where I was getting a picture of something. Actually, it was both. Let me read it to you. I was gripped by his holiness and was at his feet in the throne room. I heard him shout out, my mercy covers this one. It was like it rumbled out through all eternity into every kingdom. It was amazing and I just sobbed. To know that God has declared me covered by the blood of Jesus, that the enemy has no hold on me, no right to me in any way in my sin and humanity, that he would love me so much that he took the place to pay for my sin, and his blood covers me so the enemy has nothing on me. I can come under the blood of Jesus, and that's all I have to do, rest in what was already done for me. Truly amazing. A few days later, I received the following revelation of a scripture that is often misunderstood. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's read that in the message version. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. There are lots of theological teachings on what Jesus meant by this, including what it meant for Jesus as a rabbi to say this. But at this moment of my life, here is the revelation of what it meant to me. Being yoked together with you is being yoked to that place of rest. And here's how God actually began to apply that revelation to my life. Shortly after Becca died, I met a man named John Veal, whom God used to speak into people's lives. As he began to pray over me, he reached up his hands and started brushing off my shoulders. He said God was showing him there was a heaviness on me, but it was not from anything I had done myself. It was from things that had been put on me. 
He did not know me or anything about me. He told me I needed to get away and go on a cruise. I chuckled, but he insisted that he was serious, that I needed to go away on a cruise. I had no intention of doing so until later the subject came up again with someone else. I decided maybe I should look into this and brought it up to Dave. He is such an amazing and awesome man. Agreeing to it was a good idea to send me off on a trip where I could relax and process our daughter's death away from home. So, six weeks after I buried my daughter, I went off by myself to the Caribbean for a five-night cruise. I'm going to read a couple of entries from my journal then. Well, my adventure of rest, quote-unquote, has started. This will be the first trip where I don't have Becca's health on my mind. I know where she is, and she is safe. As I sit here writing, waiting for my plane to take off, I realize this is the first time ever in my life that I am going somewhere and absolutely no one is depending on me for anything and no one is expecting anything from me. I don't know what to think about that. How do I think? How do I act? This is going to be so very weird. Will I totally feel like a fish out of water? I'm having a hard time not tearing up just thinking about it. Sitting on the front of the ship waiting to pull out of port, I sat crying, texting Dave that I had no idea what I was going to do for five days. How do I do nothing? And this man, of whom I just said is so amazing and awesome, was laughing at me hysterically, saying I'm probably the only person who could be in tears about being on a vacation to do absolutely nothing. So here I am writing this entry. I'm on my balcony getting ready for the ship to pull out. I can hardly stand this feeling of being cut off from everyone for four days. I was actually crying on the upper deck before I got to my room. I feel so very alone, and the tears are just running. Why is there such deep-rooted sadness and sorrow and pain? Where does it come from, and how am I supposed to get past it if I don't know the source? I look at this now, and I see how ridiculous those questions are. But I was trying so hard to walk out my faith in victory, and I didn't have anyone to help me sort out my confusion, that I could not see that this was a natural part of grieving, especially only being a few weeks out from my child's death. The Holy Spirit continued to teach me about this place of rest that he wanted me to learn how to live from. He compared his love for me to a waterfall, how it would come down and drench me in his love. Later, a popular Christian song came out about that very thing. He would take me to the Song of Solomon and sweep me away in his love. I especially love chapter 8, verse 5, that asks, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? And right here in the book, there's a picture of me on a Segway. When I was on the cruise, I decided to allow myself to have some fun and wrote a Segway. I loved it so much. Dave and I went on a Segway ride in the area here, and then we ended up buying ourselves mini Segways that travel with us in the Hope Mobile. It helps us get around the campgrounds. And so just a little note I'm throwing in there. Yeah, back to the book. Here are some conversations between me and my beloved during that time as I struggled to learn how to live from a place of rest. 
This one says, help me to look to you in my times of brokenness and not to the wounds or the cause of the wounds. It's like being in a pit. It does not matter how I got into that pit as far as you wanting to be my shepherd to get me out. I have two choices. I can either try to climb and crawl my way out or I can call for you to come and carry me out. I don't want to pretend like I have it all together. I don't want to just say that like good Christians are supposed to say. I want to be free to show that I'm broken and yet you love me. But there have been times that openness has hurt me and been used against me. Is it okay to be open about being broken? We all are. Even if there are people who turn my brokenness against me, I still want to be teachable in this. I want to learn how to love others in their brokenness. And then I wrote down what I felt God was replying to me. And it says, my child, that is exactly what I am doing. And believe it or not, you are being a star student. You are getting an A in my book. No, you are not completely there yet. But when a teacher gives a grade, it is based on the material taught and covered, how well that student learned up to that point and you are learning well. Keep up the good work. Yes, I know you didn't want to write that, but do you not admit that you have had to work at leaning on me and depending on me to see you through this? It is work to enter into my rest, so good work. I replied, writing down, but am I truly resting in you? My mind goes to my daughter so often. And he answered, you are in a process Remember slow and steady, see it as the process it is, and allow me to praise you and love on you, just like you started out asking for. See me as the good shepherd I am, loving on my little broken sheep. And I wrote, yes, I am beginning to see and understand, and am in awe of it. Brokenness is a gift. Only when we know and admit how broken we are, can we truly experience the depth of your love. Now here's another entry exchange that I had a couple months later. Father, my thoughts are all over the place this morning, and most of it is based on feelings. I don't feel strong. I don't feel like a warrior. I don't feel joy. I used to absolutely love having a busy life. I thrived on it, but now I just don't want to do much of anything. I don't feel like there it is again. This is who I'm supposed to be, but I feel again, stuck in this place. I am not in that black hole of depression, but I still am not functioning in a normal way. What do I do? Laura, you have heard me speak to you several times not to push yourself right now. There is a timing and a purpose for this. Don't try to force things right now with things like fasting. You are still wounded. I don't have those kinds of expectations on you right now. All I have asked you to do is keep coming to me, and you have. What you do with the rest of your time is pretty much up to you. Relax, read, sleep, go for walks, do a little work. You are okay. It is all okay. You are still having a hard time not doing and just being until I fully call you out of this place. I want you to enjoy this time without the blackness and depression and guilt don't make the mistake of pushing yourself and putting yourself on a schedule. Just enjoy being who you are and enjoy being free. I love you with a fierce love and I'm here for you totally and completely. 
Just rest in my totally abandoned love for you and don't think about, concern yourself with, or worry about anything else. Instead of feeling guilty about being free, you should be feeling guilty about trying to do what you think others think or expect you to do. Be free, my child. Be totally and completely free in me. Here's another entry exchange. Father, I just want to thank you for how often I just feel content. I can't describe it. I can't put it into words. But so often throughout my days now, I'm surprised with a revelation at how content and at peace I am. That can only be you. And I want to take time specifically to thank you for that. Laura, when you get thrown into the deep waters, there is turmoil and thrashing at the beginning. You either drown or you swim. You have learned to swim, but not only to swim, but to float in trust and rest. And it does not matter if the waters get deeper because you are resting on top. Others around you can panic or try to help you, but you know deep calls to deep. The deeper the waters, the more secure you are in your trust of me. That is great faith. You asked me for that years ago. Yes, I remember, Lord. So I have been at work to answer that prayer. This is not to say at some point I got it all figured out and now continually live from a place of rest. You see, what I've not shared with you yet is the other domino effect of Becca's death. I am going to end it here. That was not my plan. I've done this to you before, but we're kind of have already hit the time that I like to keep these episodes around 20, 25 minutes or so, and it's already going to be a little past that. I know some of you have let me know you like longer episodes, but I know for a lot of us, we just don't have the bandwidth to listen for a long time, right? So I will continue this next week. I hope you did get some things out of this that will be helpful for you. I know as I was reading, there were times I wanted to stop and interject some things, my own thoughts as I've grown in this. Maybe I'll jot down some of those thoughts to start out next week. We'll see. But I want to encourage you to ask God to help you to learn how to rest and to learn how to be instead of do. I think sometimes we try so hard to get ourselves out of this black, dark pit that we found ourselves thrown into that we're striving and trying so hard. And the thing is, we have to just let God do it. We have to reach out to Him and rest in Him and allow Him to pull us out of this dark place. And He will. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. I want to circle back to that cruise that I went on. When God led us into the ministry of GPS Hope, I immediately wanted to find a way to get other parents on a cruise with some sort of workshop sessions because the cruise was such a healing part way back in the beginning of when Becca died. And I wanted to be able to offer this to you, other perivers. And we kept holding it up to God and looking into how to make it happen, but nothing seemed to be able to work out until three years ago when we met someone connected to what is called the Grief Cruise. And this is run by a woman who lost a daughter. Her name is Lynn Finley. And the Grief Cruise is for any loss. Now, Dave and I, as GPS Hope, were invited to be a part of it. And we were given our own set of workshops for bereaved parents, along with the general sessions that everyone can go to. 
last December was the first one that we were part of, and it was wonderful. The next one is set for October of 2023, not 22, not this year, but October of next year. And I would love to have you join Dave and myself. There's plenty of time to get your deposit down and pay a little bit on it as you can. There's no penalty for that. And the deposit is refundable up through July of next year. So I want to encourage you. It doesn't hurt to check it out, right? So go to gpshope.org slash cruise. And on that page, you'll get a lot of information about the cruise. You'll also find a video of the December grief cruise that we were on last year. And there will also be a place that you can sign up. It says register here. What you're doing is signing up to talk directly to Lynn to answer any of your questions and to have you register. It's it's not a commitment. Anyway, click the link and you'll talk to Lynn. How's that? <laughs> so I will put a link to this page, gpshope.org slash cruise in the show notes. I also want to share that my book, When Tragedy Strikes, is available anywhere you purchase books. Let me run through the chapter headings with you. Now, the subtitle of the book is Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing After the Death of Your Child. Remember, God showed me how to compare it to rebuilding a house. So these are the chapters. Well, it starts out with the introduction is Facing the Debris. And then the chapters are Our Becca, The Foundation of Forgiveness, The Garage of Tears, The Family Room of a Support System, the bedroom of rest, the personal care room, the kitchen of usefulness, looking out the window of fear, a spiritual fireside chant, sitting on the porch of your identity, the pillars of thoughts and words, the cornerstone of trust, putting on the roof of hope, adding the swimming pool of joy, the support beam of word from Dave, out in the driveway, where do I go from here? So I just wanted to let you know a little bit more about the book here, if you might be interested in purchasing it. If you have read the book and you are on Goodreads, would you please mark it as read and recommend it? Or if you've purchased it on Amazon or anywhere else, take a few seconds to rate it and write a sentence or two as a review, because the more who do that, the higher it ranks when other perievers are looking for a book to help them with this unwanted journey. And if you haven't read the book, you can go to Amazon and see some of the reviews that have been left there. If you want to find out more about this book, we do have a web page that talks about it, and I've put a little video together there. You can go to gpshope.org slash WTS, which stands for When Tragedy Strikes, and I will have a link in the show notes for this. If you decide to order the book through Amazon, would you consider going through Amazon Smile? That is a charity arm of Amazon and making GPS Hope your charity of choice. That means that whenever you purchase something on Amazon, uh, they will donate a small portion of your purchase to this ministry, and it all adds up. So I want to thank you for considering doing this. I know this seemed like a big commercial for this book, but it's a big deal. We hit our six-year anniversary, and you know that sometimes authors call books their babies, and I know what we've been through is losing our children. I wouldn't even begin to compare it to a child, but it is something that we have birthed in creativity. So I just wanted to share this book with you today, and we'll continue next week, like I said. 
Let's go ahead and get to this week's birthday segment. Antonio Moore Catania was born on July 3rd and is forever 29. Andres Martinez was born on July 7th and is forever 21. Jessica Lynn Zerlong was born on July 9th and is forever 30. We celebrate with these families the day these children came into the world as a very special day. It always will be. If you would like to have your child's birthday announced on the birthday segment here, the week of his or her birthday, all you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. Fill out the form there, submit it, including how to pronounce the name if it gets slaughtered sometimes because I do want to say it correctly. Just submit that form and we will add them to our list and announce them the week of his or her birthday. I want to close today by going back and rereading something. I am beginning to see and understand and be in awe of it. Brokenness is a gift. Only when we know and admit how broken we are can we truly experience the incredible depth of your love. Learning to rest in God is a must if you want to get out of your place of darkness, and that means spending time alone with Him. You don't even have to talk to Him. Just be with Him. Let Him show you the way out by showing you the fullness of Himself. This is a process and one that I still have to come back and remind myself how important it is to just rest in Him when things feel overwhelming. Father, I pray that you will help each one of us to learn to rest in you, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, to come away with you as you help us recover and rebuild our shattered lives. I know many who are listening don't even think that's possible. Father, I ask that you would give them hope and give them peace in the midst of their pain as only you can do. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm not anyone special. I'm just a mom in Wisconsin who lost her daughter from heart issues caused by a chemo drug she was given at three years old. And if God will do these things for me, he will do them for you. If you lay down your fight with him and start resting in his love for you, it is possible to rebuild your life after the death of your child. It won't look the same but it can still have meaning and purpose, not in spite of your child's death, but because of his or her life. So hold on, pain eases, there is hope.